This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM, channel 132. This is your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and in my day job, I lead career coaching for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. We are excited to be bringing you all new content this month, so mark your calendars for noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, every Thursday, and tune into channel 132 for the latest career tips, job search advice, and market updates. And of course, a big shout out to Dion Sibkins, our engineer, and Dana Cash, our producer, for making this new content possible as we creatively navigate our temporary environment while we're out of the studio. So today we are kicking off with Eric Tyson, who is the best-selling personal finance author of the book, Paying for College for Dummies. He is also a Stanford MBA, former Bain consultant and financial counselor and Yale economics grad. And he is going to talk to us in the first segment about how you may be able to negotiate the cost of college. In our second segment, we welcome Lauren Berger. Lauren is the founder and CEO of two great companies, Intern Queen and Career Queen, and the author of several books. Latest one is Get It Together, Ditch the Chaos, Do the Work, Design Your Success. And Lauren's going to talk to us about how you can catapult your career during COVID-19, despite all the negative numbers you're seeing in the job market. There are lots of ideas she brings to the table to share in part two. So we have two great guests for you today. We're so excited to be here on SiriusXM 132. You are listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers, and we will go ahead and get to it. Did you know that you could negotiate the price of college tuition? This is likely welcome news anytime, but particularly now because education has moved online during the pandemic and both parents and students are questioning the value of what they're paying for. Today, we're kicking off with Eric Tyson, best-selling personal finance author, Stanford MBA, former Bain consultant and financial counselor and Yale economics grad about his book, Paying for College for Dummies. So I'm gonna jump right in. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers, Eric. We're excited to be speaking with you today. Clearly, you've got a lot of experience in this area, and there's a lot to talk about with the rising cost of college, education moving online due to the pandemic, and quite frankly, the the current value of a degree in our new technology-driven market that has kind of catapulted over the last six months. So I'm just going to kick off with a general question. Eric, how did education get so expensive? Well, uh, good question, Don, and yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me to your program. Um, well, you know, education, the, the expensive part of education, for example, four-year colleges um, have gotten very expensive over time uh, for a couple of reasons. One is they're very labor-driven. 
um, and they have not really made great use of technology. Um, and number two, uh, most colleges and universities are, you know, with all due respect, not super efficiently run uh, organizations. And, uh, you know, now in recent years, they've been uh, under increasing pressure to try to get their prices uh, down to more reasonable levels, which, which I think would, is, is good for consumers. We're seeing more competition uh, among certain types of colleges. Uh, we're seeing some colleges and universities uh, go under. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in the long run, we, we should start to see more improvements for the consumers of higher education. So in, in your experience, are you um, thinking we're about to experience a revolution in education costs post-pandemic? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there have been some changes that were afoot even before the pandemic that the pandemic has accelerated. Uh, you know, before the pandemic hit, we were starting to see more evidence of price competition among certain types of colleges. I mean, the, the very, you know, uber, super elite colleges, not necessarily, but, you know, once you get outside of, um, you know, the, the top, top rated colleges in the country, we, we were seeing signs of increasing price competition um, among schools and, and schools trying to do a better job to keep price increases in line, at least no higher than the rate of inflation. And, you know, part of the reason we got into the mess that we're in is that for many years and decades, college costs were increasing faster than the rate of inflation. Um, and you, you obviously can't continue to do that for too long because you're going to just price too many people out of the market and the, the numbers get ridiculous. So, uh, you know, the pandemic has accelerated um, those changes and, you know, st more students and more families now are rightfully questioning what they're getting for their money, especially if they're, you know, taking classes through Zoom. Um, and they're like, well, gee, why are we paying seventy or $80,000 a year to a private college or university? What are we really getting for this? So you, you alluded to uh, closures. So I, I want to dig in, into that a little bit more. I mean, we're already starting to see, um, if not closures of, of universities and colleges, we're starting to see certain programs shutting down. So, so what are you seeing from your viewpoint, Eric, and where do you think those trends will continue into the next few years? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, in recent years, there have been um, increasing numbers of lower cost and faster alternatives to colleges um, and uh, a, a number of those lead to you know pretty good jobs well-paying jobs <clears throat> excuse me and pretty good careers so um, you know the, the fact that those alternatives exist and are providing uh, traditional four-year colleges a run for their money is great for consumers of higher education and I think those programs will continue to exert pressure on colleges to not only keep their prices down but also to evolve their uh, programming and curriculum so that they're actually teaching students skills and knowledge that um, employers uh, in this century will value and hire um, when they show up on college campuses or recruit college graduates. Yeah, and there's a lot of, I see a lot of articles, and of course I read about this because it's an area of interest to me, that, you know, colleges, are four-year colleges specifically, are not teaching students the transferable skills they need. So students go in, they take a test, they, you know, they kind of study for for the grade, and what employers are, are sharing is that they 
are not able to think critically or make decisions or have some of these uh, communication skills that are so vital in getting things done today. And of course, that's not universal, but it's, it's some general reflections we're hearing from the marketplace. What, what are your thoughts on that, Eric? Well, you know, the, the, the feedback that, that you're hearing matches the feedback that, that I'm hearing, Dawn, that employers are finding that they're not seeing the skills and uh, other attributes that they want to in college graduates, and they're either having to train people or look elsewhere. Uh, and that's not good news for families that have invested a lot of money in a college education and a college degree. And, you know, at the end of the day, the administrators and the faculty that work in these colleges and universities need to be more open to feedback and also be more willing to listen to what employers want in the graduates that they're hiring. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM channel 132. We're here talking with Eric Tyson, who is the best-selling author of several books. Uh, and today we're talking specifically about paying for college for dummies. So if you're thinking, is college worth it right now with the pandemic? What's going on with this online stuff? And how might I be able to get a discount? You are listening to the right program. So let's let's dive right back in, um, Eric. So we we're talking a little bit about uh, the value and the worth. And, and let's talk about community colleges, trade schools, professional uh, certifications, and things like programming. I think these are really gaining a lot of momentum, and they were before the pandemic, but I think they are going to gain a lot even more momentum <laughs> considering what's going on. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, that, that certainly could, could be the case. And, uh, you know, and again, we, you know, with the pandemic leading families to rethink all the money they're spending on higher education, especially at schools that are, are not allowing students to come back onto campus, which hopefully will be in the minority. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, these, uh, these alternative programs that are out there, which are growing uh, in number and growing in popularity, I, I think are an excellent thing for students and families to look into. I, I, I think it's a mistake, for frankly, for most uh, high school graduates to ignore these alternatives. I think at a minimum, you should look at what else is out there and compare those alternative programs to, you know, the traditional four-year colleges and do a side-by-side -side comparison and then and then make a choice. You, may, you might still choose to go to a traditional four-year college, but I, I think you'll make a much more informed decision if you do that side-by-side -side comparison and really look at the range of opportunities that are out there. Yeah, I think it's really important because a lot of, um, obviously, if you're in high school and you're trying to make this decision and you're having conversations with your, your parents or other adults, maybe things were different when they went to school, uh, you know, 25 years ago than they are now. And, you know, one of the things we're seeing in, in careers is that a lot of the large firms, especially tech firms, are foregoing the college degree requirement, especially for these these engineering uh, or programming roles rather, because they know that you can learn a lot of these skills either in online programs, teach yourself, or just through general experience. And they're saying, hey, if you can do the work, then you can do, you know, then, then we can hire you. And it's not going to matter that you don't have this checkbox. Um, so I'm seeing more of that in the market, which again, starts to question what are 
what's really being valued in the marketplace, Eric? Yeah, well, that, and, that, and that makes sense. I mean, look, you know, from the employer's perspective, you know, would they rather have a four-year college graduate who really doesn't have any specific skills or training and, and maybe has a somewhat inflated opinion about what what they can contribute to a work environment or would they rather hire somebody who, for example, you know, completed a multi-month um, you know, coding boot camp and learned, uh, you know, specific programming skills, which the employer needs and values in their business. You know, so I, I think, you know, that simple example shows why, you know, coding boot camps being one of the first, um, you know, boot camp type uh, education alternatives that are out there to traditional colleges, you know, that's why they're flourishing. That's why employers are, are hiring uh, graduates uh, from, from those better programs. So, and, and the point, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I don't want to say that, that a four-year degree isn't right for everybody or that a trade school is mm -hmm. right for everybody. I mean, I, I think that we need to clarify that that's not what we're saying. We're saying that it's important to look at all of the options, especially now, especially as the market's changing, and decide what's going to make the most sense for you as an individual. I'm seeing a lot more students take gap years, which has been very popular in, in you know, other countries for a long time, but it's something newer to the US, and I think that's a great thing for a lot of people too. So, I mean, I, th I think the point we are trying to make here today, Eric, um, is that, that there are a lot of options. Look at all of them and compare them so that you make the best choice for you. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to SiriusXM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are speaking with Eric Tyson today, who is the author of Paying for College for Dummies. So let's talk about that. One of the things you say Eric, is that when a school makes an offer, it's never cast in stone. So I think for a lot of people, regardless of what's happening right now in the world, have always wondered, how am I going to pay for a college education? It's so expensive. So you've got a lot of great tips for that. And um, I know one of the things you say is don't use the word negotiating, but since that's essentially what we're doing, let's talk about how a student or a parent might be able to get a better price tag on that education. Yeah, a great topic to talk about. Um, you know, the whole process of colleges setting a price for each individual family is known broadly as, you know, financial aid. So, you know, when a family is applying for financial aid, there's a misconception that the family is applying to get the college to give them money. And that's not actually what's happening. What's actually happening is that by divulging all sorts of personal and financial information, the college then is using that information to determine what price they're going to set for your family. And each family gets a different price based upon the college's assessment of your, your ability to pay. It's kind of a bizarre process if you think about it. I mean, imagine walking into a car dealer and you know, you've got to show them all your assets and your income and then they decide how much they're going to charge you for the car. I mean, <laughs> college is the only thing <laughs> Uh, in our country that, that we price this way. So um, it's a mysterious process to the end consumer and it, and it feels invasive because it is. Um, and, it, and it's very mysterious because it is. And so, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote Paying for College for Dummies is that I wanted to show the reader exactly what forms they were going to fill out, um, 
how they can best truthfully answer those questions on those forms to get better pricing from colleges and just to understand the, the whole process by which colleges set pricing so that over the years that you're raising your children, you can save and invest and earn money in a way that's going to best position your family to get more favorable pricing from colleges. Um, it's not unethical to do this. It's not immoral. I've, I've been asked that question, and it's certainly a fair question to ask, but it's no you know, it, it's not unethical or immoral to take advantage of tax breaks in our tax code. Likewise, it would be foolish to be ignorant of how colleges set pricing and uh, end up paying more than you need to pay. Yeah, and I think this process has gotten so complicated. I mean, even just the application process itself, people are now hiring consultants to, to figure that part out. So I think you're right. Step one is understanding how some of these financial decisions are made so that you know what you're working with. And then once you understand that, um, Eric, where do you begin? Who do you, who do you even speak with? Who's the decision maker in um, mm -hmm. who's got that final say in how much you're going to pay? Yeah, so, you know, if your son or daughter gets admitted to a particular college or university, they should get a, you know, a so-called financial aid offer, which outlines the pricing the college is proposing for your son or daughter. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize is that they can appeal that. Um, we don't, the colleges don't like to use the word negotiating, even though you're, that's what you're going to try to do. Uh, they like to call it appealing the decision. So, um, if a particular college or university is charging a lot more than you expected or more than um, competing schools that have offered your child admission, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with questioning why they made the offer that they did and seeing if you can get a better, better offer. So I suggest reaching out by phone, uh, talking to uh, the financial aid officer in the financial aid office who was assigned to handle your family's case. Um, having a, a phone dialogue with them, you know, don't be argumentative, don't be judgmental, but ask them questions, understand why the offer is the way that it is, and, and then consider following up, ideally um, in writing, like through an email, to appeal the decision. And in that appeal letter, you can outline, for example, things, maybe things have changed, like with the pandemic, you know, maybe a family member has seen a reduction in their employment income. You know, maybe someone's lost a job. There can be all sorts of things that that can happen. So, you know, part of the process of an appeal is to update the school on aspects of your situation, which may be less favorable. You know, maybe the student's grades have gone up, so that might, um, you know, make your family eligible, your son or daughter eligible for more merit money. Uh, that's worth asking about. Also spend some time understanding how that particular school assesses the equity that you have in your home because there, there can be tremendous differences among different schools in terms of how they assess your home equity. And, and sometimes schools make mistakes in doing that because they're, they don't really know what your house is worth and they're typically using web websites to estimate the value. And I've seen cases where the value of the home has been overestimated by 20, 30% or more. So you wouldn't know that if you don't question them and ask them what value they put on your home and how they came up with it. Um, so all of those things you can reasonably challenge through an appeal letter, and there's no downside to you doing it except for the time. A school's not going to revoke the offer of admission and say, well, you clearly don't like us enough. We're going to take away 
the admissions offer, that's not going to happen. Uh, so take the time, and you may be surprised that you can get a better price through an appeal. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot on Dr. Don on Career. It's about the fact that if you don't ask, you don't get. So whether you call it negotiating or inquiring or whatever you want to call it, the fact is is that there's always options. And I, I love that you're talking about this because I, I'll be honest with you, I, um, I think a big part of this is that we – we don't understand how things are being priced to begin with. And so that means we don't understand the levers that we can use to maybe get the price down. So, hey, if you're just tuning in, we are on Sirius XM 132. This is your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're talking with Eric Tyson, Stanford MBA, and best-selling author of several books, including Paying for College for Dummies. And we are talking about how you might be able to get a better price on your uh, college experience. So are there, does it make a difference, Eric, if it's a certain type of school or area of study, like, you know, state school versus out of school? Or I mean, does that have an impact on the negotiating? You know, usually it doesn't, but it might. And it might if it affects the supply and demand of students for filling particular slots. So, if your you know if your specific major or you know maybe extracurricular activity for a sport is something that is more in demand um, by the school and there's not a lot of other students competing for those spots, you might be in position to get a better deal so the the answer is it depends but in in most cases it's not going to make a significant difference because financial aid officers are are very concerned about the actual fairness and perceived fairness of what they do they're doing so they they generally don't want to play play favorites but if there is a student who they think is in high demand or is is going to fill certain uh, requirements for their incoming class they may give a better deal to a student like that so obviously with the pandemic going on and a lot of uh, of campuses doing either hybrid models or moving to online. This seems like a really good lever to pull when it comes to negotiating an offer. So what's the best timing for a student or a parent who may be thinking about negotiating? Well, I mean, the best time to do it is when you've gotten the, your offers from in the form of a deposit. Uh, to that school, because once you've made a deposit to the school, you've essentially told the school, my son or daughter's coming. You'll lose a lot of your leverage, generally speaking, uh, if, you, if you don't do your appeal before, before that step. So, but I mean, one additional thing I want to bring up is, you know, even, even before you apply to colleges or apply for financial aid, you should look at what a particular school is likely to be charging your family. And all colleges and universities in the U.S. Um, have what's called a net price calculator uh, on their website where you can plug in attributes of your situation, your income, your uh, assets, things like that. And the, that calculator can give you at least a ballpark estimate what your family's price might be for that school. 
Yeah, so I think it's, it's um, to your point, Eric, it's worth investing the time because a little bit of extra time and effort and a few phone calls could probably save you thousands of dollars when it comes to the education. So as we, as we wind down, Eric, um, I, I kind of want to talk about just sort of the, the general motion we're in right now with education. So I know, you know, there's general consensus among some, some groups that, an online education is has been subpar and there's there you know more credibility with in-person education and obviously right now many if not all universities are are moving to some type of virtual model so this whole thing seems now to be kind of like a contradiction as especially as <laughs> universities say well, we're not going to reduce our tuition, but you're going to get this online education, which last year we talked about being subpar, but this year we're talking about being just great. So, so do you think the online model will stick once the pandemic subsides? Do you, do you think we'll see more um, credibility given to online education than, than it has had previously? Yeah, um, I, I, th I think that's a reasonable expectation and assumption. And look, I mean, before the pandemic hit, we were seeing um, uh, online education, you know, taking some market share, not a lot, but taking some market share in the higher education space. And, and the pandemic um, is certainly going to accelerate that exactly for the reasons that, that you're highlighting, you know, because a lot of these schools that were maybe talking down the value of doing education that way or now finding themselves in a situation where they're saying, well, you know, we're going to charge you the same price because we think it's just as good because you're still getting the high quality professors and whatever. So, you know, I, I think there, there certainly is value from in-person education and being around other students, living with other students. Um, the value of that can vary from campus to campus and from student to student, depending upon what their makeup is. So. You know, I don't think there's one size fits all. I, I th and I think that's what's great about, you know, being in a country like we live in that, you know, people can, you know, shop amongst the alternatives and, and choose the one that is the best match for their situation. And that, and that's the thing that I think is, is challenging for your typical, you know, high school graduate, a teenager who's still trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be. And to make that decision at the age of 18 or 19, you know, where you want to commit, for example, to spending a year or two years or four years of higher education, that, that's not always an easy decision. And it doesn't, you know, we hear lots of stories about kids transferring or, you know, people starting one program and then dropping out and doing something else. That That's going to happen regardless of how much homework people do. But the more soul searching and research you can do, up front, you're going to minimize the chance of making a, a you know incorrect first choice. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM channel 132. We've been speaking with Eric Tyson, Stanford MBA and best-selling author of several books, including Paying for College for Dummies. Eric, I want to thank you today for all of your, your great insights and advice. Where can people um, learn more about you and your books? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they can visit my website, erictyson.com. Uh, you know, the book, uh, this book and the other books that I've written in the Four Dummies series are, you know, pretty widely available. Retail bookstores, if you can find one open in your area, online bookstores, of course, carry it too. Um, so, yeah, those would be the best places to look.
Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Eric. And hey, to stay current on our upcoming shows, get insightful tips on your job search and find out what you need to be doing to manage your career, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. You've been listening to Dr. Don on Careers on SiriusXM channel 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.